You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal! From Lord Pohino! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores! Now you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? It's Series 7, Episode 4, and joining me, Chris Skull, is my co-host, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And he moved houses recently, and the rumour is that when he did, he left two Coca-Cola League Cup Man of the Match bicycles beside his old place. (laughs) It's Michael Marden. Hello. I thought I'd give you a break this week from your increasingly indefensible position on Peter Schmeichel. Yeah, my Twitter mentions today have just been absolutely (laughs) insane. His positioning's quite bad as well, isn't it? (laughs) Not, not, not having it internally as well. <laughs> um, yeah, we do apologise, Michael. You've become a defender of probably the greatest goalkeeper of all time. It's really, our rewriting of history is disgusting, but there we go. Do, do you remember, uh, was it, who was the, the Iraqi war general who kept saying, the Americans are nowhere near Baghdad as the tanks rolled in behind yeah. him. That's, um, <laughs> that's my goal. That's your position at the moment. I mean, I can't, no, I'm not doing it. I, I can't <laughs> believe I was about to justify it again. Like, it's absurd. Like, the data is skewed. In the 90s, Manchester United were by far the most televised club in English football. So, of course, there's more footage of him getting chipped. <laughs> <laughs> right now we've got big announcements as always we like it well, you know this is a series of big announcements isn't it um so very excitingly chris okay i think we should introduce this bit of news with the following theme tune That spooky remix of the Quickly Kevin theme tune can only mean one thing. Coming Monday the 2nd of November, close to Halloween, but just after it, will be a special spooky episode, non-90s football episode of Quickly Kevin. An episode we're calling Quickly Kevin Will He Scare. It's our Halloween special. And I can tell you about um, which the most haunted stadium is 
and I'm not going to lie, it was built in the 90s. Oh, modern spooky stories. Yeah, exciting. But most excitingly, uh, Michael has told us that although he denies that there is the existence of ghosts, you're a cynic, aren't you, Michael? I'm a cynic. I don't want to say with a concrete certainty that there isn't something out there we can't explain, because there probably is, but... I have never seen a ghost, therefore I don't believe in ghosts. However, I have had a number of supernatural experiences in my life. Save the gold! Which we've never discussed. I cannot wait. So this is uh, this week, this month's free episode on our Patreon. Uh, So that will be, um, if you go up and sign up to Patreon, that and Chapter 2 of Striker by Steve Bruce will be released next Monday. That is the 2nd of November. Very, very exciting. I'm just going to say it as well. I have rewatched Ghost Watch. <laughs> so I will be filling you in on what that's like to rewatch 20 years on. Uh, and if you have any good ghost stories you want to share, email them to hello at quicklykevin.com and hopefully we'll get through them. Yeah, we would love uh, your input as to if you've, or if there's any football related ghost stories, uh, then do email them in. Now, another development on the Patreon, Chris, there is another new feature, isn't there? Another free new feature for members. There is another feature. We have finally got our own Quickly Kevin forum. It's launching today. And if you want to join in, just sign up to the Quickly Kevin Patreon. And there'll be a link there for you to join all the fun and our own private little chat room, our own forum for all the listeners to talk about whatever subjects you like, from Peter Schmeichel getting chipped to that gold Davos Suka scored at Euro <laughs> Nights. <laughs> It, um, I'm just, we are, we are, us three are going to be active on the forum. Yeah, I'll mostly be banning people for bringing up PS Michael getting checked. <laughs> <laughs> Don't write about Peter Schmeichel if you think Michael might have been drinking. He's going to be very trigger happy with the banning. Uh, but we look forward to discussing all things 90s football on that forum. So um, if you want to be involved, uh, patreon.com slash quickly Kevin. Now, do you want some correspondence? I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Postbag. You've got mail. So, today we're obviously talking about Swindon Town, so I've held back this email uh, from July, because it references John Gorman. Hello, chaps. This is from Tom Galeb. Firstly, I'm a big fan of the podcast, even though I was only born in 1994. Wow. A childhood spent watching VHS classics such as David Seaman's Goalkeeping Nightmares, etc. means I'm fairly up to speed with plenty of the players. We are bringing me stories to make the 90s come alive. I've been slowly waking my way through the episodes, so not fully up to date. But reading John Gorman's autobiography. Imagine reading John Gorman's autobiography when you're born in 1994. 26, reading John Gorman's autobiography. What? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Uncovered a small gem from the penalty shootout. He quotes the referee Kim Milton Nielsen. This is the England-Argentina one. saying. He quotes the referee Kim Milton Nielsen as saying, John, don't worry, you're going to win, as Gorman entered the field before penalties. What? Isn't that mad? But lastly, he quotes quickly Kevin's stalwart, David Batty. He says, I will always remember what Bat said when he went up to take the penalty. I'll get the glory, he joked, and then missed the kick. England were out of the World Cup. Oh, that sounds very un-Batty-esque. yeah. I'm not having that. Everything about his character is understated. Well, he's not. Do you think John Gorman's lied in his autobiography? 
I don't want to libel, but, you know, knowing everything we know about David Batty, that feels completely untrue. Do you know what? I can't really resolve that because I don't believe ever John Gorman, I can't imagine him saying something that wasn't true. And I also can't imagine David Batty saying that. So I can't resolve that. Surely the most unlikely thing is that John Gorman's written an autobiography. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Do you want... Do you know what's absolutely caught fire? Can we have the theme music to uh, Vicar of Dibley, please, Michael? Because my request for football players turned preachers has absolutely caught fire in the uh, inbox. So I'm just going to run you through a few. Uh, Thank you to everyone that wrote in. I can't thank you all. Uh, I can't thank the 64 people that told me that Phil Mulrine is now a priest, but that is excellent news. Kieran Routledge says you can have uh, Rangers and Tobago centre-back Marvin Adams, who uh, is a faith healer in the Pentecostal church in Carcaldi in Scotland. Chris, here's one for you. From Nick Warren. Does David Icke qualify to play in goal? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you, you can have him in goal, or you could have... Would you like Carlos Roa? Are you aware of Carlos yes, Roa? Yes, he, he thought the world was going to end, didn't he? <laughs> yes, so... Argentina goalie uh, in that 1998 game, in fact. He helped Real Mallorca uh, reach the final of the UEFA Cup with a team at the height of the powers, walked away from football to join a religious retreat preparing for Armageddon in his own home country. Despite approaches from Mallorca, uh, Roa refused to discuss a new contract because he was convinced the world would end as soon as the 90s did. In a way, he was right. (laughs) He loves this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) As he waited for the apocalypse, he turned to preaching, thus qualifying him for the team. When the end of the world turned out not to be nigh, he returned to Real Mallorca, or Mallorca, sorry, claiming to feel refreshed from his time away. Uh, but now with added complication that he wouldn't work on Saturdays for religious grounds. I mean, I'm definitely putting Ike in goal in that situation. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's got to have lizard-like reflexes. Well, Ike's not, Ike's not the lizard, Michael. Isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Open your eyes, uh, mate. Do, do you know, uh, I wonder what position on the pitch you get the most kind of conspiracy people. Surely oh, it's got to be goalie. It's got to be goalie. Because yeah, yeah, you've got to be. be a bit unhinged. Those are my favourite religious footballers. David Icke, Carlos Roa and Philip Mulrine. Thank you for them. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to receive 400 emails on the subject. And quickly, just to right or wrong, thank you to James Lees, who last week sent us that email about Juninho receiving the Man of the Match bicycle uh, as a reward for a fantastic performance against Middlesbrough. Thank you, James. Or is that Heinies? Let's go with James. Um, <laughs> right. Before we get to the night's clock news, I, I've been meaning to say this. It's been, I, mean, I've been, I remember today, and I, I'm going to use this platform to tell you. You know, like, I was in the bakery the other day, and this keeps happening to me. You know, you've got to stand at, like, a two-meter dis- distance from the people in, f- people in front of you. And every time someone looks around as if to judge me for not being at the appropriate distance, in my head I go, I'm in my meter, I'm in my meter. <laughs> <laughs> and once, that, once you've got that in your head, it will always be there. I'm in my meter. <laughs> Do thank your mate for me, won't you? Oh, um, poor, poor old Graham. Graham. Right. Without further ado, it's the 90s o'clock news. Kevin Ratcliffe has boundary dispute with one true voice singer neighbour. 
Brian Roy backs a range of debunked conspiracy theories. It's <laughs> our top stories this week. Let's deal with the first one. Back. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it. I, I don't know who your editor is, but I think they've they've got the front page wrong. <laughs> I, I think you've you've missed the you've missed the lead on this one, Chris. But uh, well, look. Let's be, let's begin with our top story this week, and it's from 2011. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you to Peter Dodd from Liverpool, aged forty-one and three quarters, for finding this story. So Kevin Ratcliffe installed a twenty-foot fence next door, and like foot. between the boundary he shares with um, the one true voice singer Matthew Johnson. Big row, bust up in a restaurant. Matthew Johnson fuming, rang rang uh, Kevin Ratcliffe up. Threats were made, but look, it's all settled, guys. £1,500 fine for Matthew Johnson later and a new six-foot fence installed. It's all been settled. Relations are back on an even keel again, but certainly choppy for a while between Kevin Ratcliffe. Just ask, a 20-foot 20, a 20 <laughs> fence? That's as tall as, that's as, tall as a house. Is it? How 20-foot? That is higher than the one at Glastonbury. <laughs> I read that, but then it, you think... Kevin Ratcliffe's going to be pinging footballs around the garden with the grandkids. And, you know, maybe it's to stop the balls going over the fence. That's like three Richard Osmonds. <laughs> 20 foot. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. What's next? And next up, Brian Roy. He's come out and he's done an interview in which he backs almost every conspiracy theory under the sun. And this is interesting, right? He says he got into it around 2011 or 2012. Brian Roy says in this interview... I was flabbergasted. I was watching this thinking, it can't be true. Newsflash, it probably wasn't true. Uh, He said, I couldn't stop watching. I was telling my children what I saw. They were looking at me like, you are crazy. My sister wanted me to go to a psychiatrist. My kids say, what are you on about? And then he goes on later in the interview to call Donald Trump the biggest boss ever. He also said that he's watched every single, quote, YouTube video on the Illuminati after leaving his role as IXBT manager. (laughs) <laughs> so there you go that's what brian roy's up to that's the 90s in, o'clock news leaving QAnon. yeah no he believes in qa non i mean there's every, oh, this, no. i couldn't list every single conspiracy theory he's into because that's the big one at the moment all day and he's all over it he's all Is over he into it ike? massive fan of ike huge massive ike. fan of ike wow this is probably a good time to say that, Josh, you bought me a David Icke book for uh, some in-joke that's long forgotten. And my wife not knowing... It's your birthday. Oh, yeah, thank you. My wife not knowing who David Icke was or what his books are about, moved the book and put it pride of place on the bookcase and in next to the window facing the street. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone walking past would say that I've got a massive David Icke book. <laughs> Didn't you say that you were going to do that thing where you put, you know, when people put books outside their house and say, take them. Yeah, that was a But you didn't thing. want to do David Icke because it was... <laughs> My wife, sometimes when she clears books away, will put them on the back, like the front wall of our house. So the ne- like neighbours can take books away. And she, I dread to think what would happen if the David Icke book had made its way out there. <laughs> well thumbed with yeah. post-its. I look, and out, I look out the window to see Brian Roy in my front garden thumbing through it. <laughs> If you want to get in touch with the correspondence or any night is o'clock news, this is how. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin. 
and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Okay, this is an episode we've wanted to do for quite a while. This is Ivo Graham uh, re-watching uh, That's Football, the Swindon Town documentary. And um, Ivo is obviously a, a very close friend of the show. He uh, is currently working his way through all of the Steve Bruce books again with us on our Patreon. But here he is talking about Swindon Town documentary, That's Football. Ivo Graham, hello. Hello, Josh. Hello, Michael. Hello, Chris. It's lovely to be back. Now, you're probably most fondly remembered by our listeners as as the guest on our most popular episodes, the Steve Bruce books. Well, that's very nice. I'd go further than that. I'd say I'm best known for the Steve Barnes episodes of Quickly Kevin compared to anything else I've achieved in my <laughs> professional or personal life. Nothing else has punched through. But uh, So if someone came up to you in the street, mm. what would be the percentage, what they might say? Could you give me a split? There's very rarely, um, you know, street meets. But um, tweets after, after tour shows, for example, and I found this particularly painful um, when um, I was t- touring my 2018 Edinburgh Fringe show, a uh, quite punchline light show about settling down. And uh, occasionally people would tweet, most heartbreakingly, before the show, like, uh, got tickets for Ivo Graham, uh, looking forward to a few mentions of the Jaguar XJ8. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking, I, I, I'm afraid to say there's not even a reference to just football as an entity. <laughs> what, have you ever thought about leaving a little Easter egg in any of your shows? It would be much easier to do that, wouldn't it? Much, much nicer. <laughs> I, I, I think the problem would be it would cause a ripple within a quarter of the audience that the other three quarters wouldn't understand. Yeah. That's what you want, isn't it? And then it would cause it. They would. Ivo every night would have to explain what had happened. If I sort of suddenly, in the middle of quite a heavy bit, said, and uh, and then she said, "Well, I I think we're uh, we're probably ready to start trying for a baby." And I said, "Can anyone smell the tripe factory?" <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably generate a way. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I hope that the essence of Barnes flows through all of my work, but certainly it's been the most fun I've had um, doing those. So, sadly, we then come to, uh, I was going to say that's entertainment, it's called That's Football. Well, that's Football. I think the worst title of any documentary we've approached yes. before. Yeah. Mm. The reason I said that's entertainment is when the title comes up at the start, that's, that's Football, with an exclamation mark. It's, it looks like the end of a kind of Bugs Bunny cartoon. That, that's like Looney Tunes. Like, it's in the same font. font. Yeah, it's in a similar it's a font. It's a terrible font. And then it's topped by the sort of sledgehammer awkward way in which the narrator then drops the phrase, that's football, yeah. quite early on in it. it. It's like, I don't know if you've read the book All Played Out, which is quite an overrated book about the Italian 90 World Cup, but throughout... He'll keep using the phrase all played out. So there'll be bits about how he couldn't get his tickets. And it'll be like, you could say, the ticket men were all played out. <laughs> um, so let's let's go back to this documentary. It's called That's Football. It's about Swindon Town's 92-93 season. Ivo, you're, I don't know if this has even been established, but you're a Swindon Town fan. 
If it hasn't been established on the podcast, I've I've mentioned it as much as possible elsewhere. Yes. Um, to incorporate it into the limited brand. It, it's part of your brand. Um, it's not a very competitive field, um, being a Swindon supporting comedian. Who are the other Swindon fans of note? Well, the the big one and a far greater pedigree than me in in the football community is um, Guardian cartoonist David Squires. Of course. Oh. Um, who will occasionally, if you're talking about Easter eggs, sneak in a lovely Swindon <laughs> reference into his work. Um, and uh, some of the DMs we've exchanged on Twitter have been amongst the high points of my professional career. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apart from that, no one really. Uh, but David I Squires... Want to say Willie Carson. Well, Willie Carson owned Swinton. Oh, is that why? But, yeah. but he was not a fan. <laughs> under duress. It's hard to be a chairman and fan. Um, As we will come to. Yes. But David Squires isn't going to get to do present a VT on the Premier League show, is he? I think you're the number... You're the go-to Swindon Town fan. Uh, yes, I, I guess I guess so. My VT on the Premier League show felt... I mean, if, if me... Um, who didn't really take an interest in football until about 1999, um, feels like I'm, I'm winging it on the 90s football podcast. Me managing to sneak in a short VT about the Swindon-Oxford rivalry into <laughs> the Premier League show was uh, one of the great Trojan horses of uh, modern broadcasting. I cannot even remember how I managed to, to sort of make that work, but um, but it was broadcast. And then I went and did a, 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 the same thing you did, Josh, yeah. um, a My Club feature going behind the scenes, walking through some of the very same corridors that uh, we'll oh, be really? discussing. Did they, did they look similar? Oh, I don't think the decor's moved on a huge amount at Swindon oh, really? in, uh, in 25 years. Don't forget that we are just a friendly little club from Wiltshire, as we are in no way patronisingly referred to at the start of the doc. <laughs> um, so this documentary was 93 when you'd have been three, so you obviously weren't aware of it. But does it have... If you didn't know about it through us asking you to watch it, does mm. it have a, re- a place within the club's history? Um, no, I don't recall it ever being discussed amongst... Um, I'm on um, I'm on one WhatsApp group called the London Reds, recently renamed the London Swin, and I, uh, there were too many messages for me to keep up with why the name has been changed. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's... Um, most of the members of the London Swin are a good sort of five or ten, maybe 15 years older than me. So um, they talk about it with more sort of memories of the of the era, mm. and I've discussed it with them. But it's not something I've ever thought, well, I, I must watch that. And in fact... It's only come up as people sort of making a joke about how there's a full-length Swindon documentary on YouTube. And I've gone, well, that's the sort of thing I ought to watch. And then I've tried to. And without the professional obligation to make it till the end, (laughs) I've actually found it quite tough going. (laughs) Because I think if there was a Plymouth documentary, that would be a big thing in the history of the club. Well, Well, this documentary, I'm pretty sure, is hosted on the official club's YouTube channel. I don't think it's a fan... It's a, the Swindon Town FC YouTube channel. Well, it's not. It doesn't bring shame upon the club. No, I, no. it's 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 um it's it's terrific promo. I mean, the fact that it was on Channel Four, even oh. just at the beginning of the full um, length showing of it on YouTube, even just the fact that they've included the you know and coming up next on Channel Four, the hairs stood up on the back <laughs> of my neck at the thought of people stumbling across this. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's quite you know it's one thing having a semi ironic well not even semi ironic but you know Netflix or Amazon pumping. Um, money into, into into sort of lower league behind the scenes stuff. But Channel Four, it feels like I I don't mean this as like a what's happened to TV, but it feels like 
you would never get an hour 20 Swindon Town documentary away yeah. on any of the major channels now. And is TV and I, a better say place that like it's I a say bad thing. Like, no, I said, uh, that's, not, that's not a judgment call. <laughs> and it's certainly not a, a bitter person who's attempted to do that. And, and, you, know, and you know what, Josh, not to you know, give too much away, but if you did have any chance of getting it away, you'd have to really emphasise to the big wigs at Channel 4 that you were going to focus the documentary on Swindon's big name player manager, Glenn Hoddle, and the key games in their race for promotion, rather than getting that commission and then focusing most of the one hour 20 on the struggles of what it's like to be a Swindon Town reserve player. <laughs> in the greatest season in Swindon's history, yeah. arguably. <laughs> At that point, But yes. what are the reserves doing? <laughs> Moping, mostly. Um, so, I think that's an interesting point. So, we should talk about... Should we just give a brief praise of what you think... Michael, you're the kind of most uh, film literate. If you were to describe what, what the documentary is, for those that haven't seen it, if you want to watch it, you can now. It is on YouTube. And I should say, you do see the Channel 4 logo at the start. And you do see the ins and outs of the breaks. And I was gutted. I was hoping you want the ads. You wanted the adverts. I found myself pausing on um, even just uh, like what was on the billboards at at the stadium. (laughs) The great, great one for Join the Army at one point. Um, And when they play it away at Tranmere, they have a thing called um, Euro Tires or something. And there's a huge sort of EU flag on the scoreboard at uh, at Tranmere, which I'm I'm not sure is still there. (laughs) I think describing this documentary, at the start, I think you've got to A, talk about the, the narrator, who is also the man who's made... The film, if that's yeah, the, I think he's the director. He's the director. He attempts to frame the documentary at the start. He makes uh, what I would describe as a lofty claim that he completely fails to. Yeah. So he claims he's going to look at masculinity and what football means to men, and I don't think at any point he scratches the surface of that. I'd yeah. say there's a little bit of that in there, actually. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll come to that and we can debate how much he achieves that aim. What I enjoy more is that in the style of, you know, some of the true crime documentarians who have become so popular in recent years, he attempts to present it early doors as a documentary that went off script. (laughs) (laughs) That, uh, you know, the best laid plans of following Swindon Town for a season in the early 90s soon go awry. (laughs) It's almost refreshing to hear a documentary maker say at the start, I had an agenda. Like, yeah. he was like, I wasn't going to try and make a documentary yeah. about football. It was actually, it sounds like he's kind of do it down to an extent. It's interesting that point about masculinity, because there is an interview later on with uh, Martin Ling. And um, he asked Martin Ling the question, uh, why do you cuddle after a goal? <laughs> one of, one and Martin Ling things. responds, I knew that one was coming. He's like, how? <laughs> what questions were leading up to that to lead Martin Ling to know the next question? Ling so has been defending his cuddles for 10 years. <laughs> but it's quite I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah, Ling famous cuddles after a goal for either team so it's, it's, a very, it's a very notable he's always asked about it. if his goalie lets one in they hug it out um, so it starts it starts a bit if you're going to compare it to you know big documentaries in the same way that um, the Tiger King starts with him in jail it starts with them lifting the playoff trophy yeah and then 
and then goes back to the start of the season to show you Which how they I reach thought was needless. One of many, many terrible editorial decisions yeah. within the film. Yeah. But we do come to it later, which we'll come to at the end. But I just thought, why are you blowing the payoff of this? Yeah. But there's a sort of coda at the very end, which we'll come to. Oh, yeah. even better. Oh, right. It's this, this film has gone out so far past the point that mm. this happens. that It isn't a surprise that yeah. they got promoted. That being said, though, again, we're talking about casual cha- Channel 4 viewers here. I'd say most Channel 4 viewers wouldn't know what had happened in yeah. the yeah. championship playoff final from one or indeed two years ago. Anyway. <laughs> so there might still be a... We still actually don't know what, you know. Yeah. I watched Sunderland Till I Die series one knowing that spoiler alert uh, that they would get relegated but I was like I can't remember the exact manner so it'll still be exciting <laughs> I, I'm, but- I'm sure I've told you this before Frank Skinner told me that he was watching Senna with his wife yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> She started asking what he's up to these days halfway through the film. He didn't know whether to ruin it. Um, can we talk about how boring the um, his voice is? Yeah, absolutely. It's like Guy Vio. Like, how did that go on telly? Yeah, he's like it Guy Vio. Sucks the life out of it within about a minute. Guy Vio, for people that don't, is what a producer yeah. would put over in for before. For, know, for timing purposes, before, basically. Before Izzy Sean Sooty Bean comes, comes in, in yeah, to yeah. do the voiceover. I thought you said Guy Vio, who was like a notoriously bad voiceover artist. <laughs> yeah, with an unfortunate surname. <laughs> no, it's a Guy Vio would be the producer would go, I'll just read it for timing, and then you come in and then you know where to say it. But if you're, if you're one of those people that thinks that um, film trailers are done in a needlessly dramatic style, then this is the, this is the opposite of the inner world guy. <laughs> James L. Jones. Do you think they've put out the wrong version? And there's a version with Brian Blessed that is currently... <laughs> they haven't pressed played on at Channel 4. <laughs> <laughs> These are the reasons I don't believe that it was commissioned by Channel 4. I know Channel 4's, you know, is the riskiest of all the terrestrial channels, but still, it just feels like Goodness me, a very amateur... B- bite the hand that feeds on your podcast. And also, the cameras... The, he's using a bad camera. Well, he might be using a bad camera, but what he does with it. There is a, there is a tracking shot early on oh, yeah. through the back rooms of the stadium, which is worthy of the film Boogie Nights by Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> it is stunning. And as I say, I've, I've walked those corridors, but even I was sort of glancing down to look at my phone. This, it's sumptuous. And he lands in the dressing room at exactly the right well, time. Well, it's very well timed. Because <laughs> it sort of starts outside the ground, doesn't it? He's sort of walking with the fans and you think, oh, here we go, this is boring. <laughs> and he goes through a door and suddenly it is like that scene when they go into the nightclub at the start of Boogie Nights. You go, oh, hello. The players are there. They're about to go out onto the pitch. Mm. That actually I, predates Boogie Nights by two years. This <laughs> film, so who's yeah. to say? I'm not saying Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> hasn't seen it. Well, there is another... Later on, there's a scene, Ivo, that I'd, I'd say reminded me hugely of one of uh, my favourite ever scenes from anything. And I think you'll be able to guess it when I, when we get to it. But we'll get to that. I, the, I th- the press conference scene from Notting Hill. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit where John Gorman in a miniskirt uncrosses his legs. <laughs> <laughs> It really stays with you. 
so where do we start? We start. We've got. We've had the title. Should we talk about Glenn Hoddle, who's the manager of Sweet? I didn't realise until I started watching this. I'd forgotten that Glenn Hoddle was. The he he is the star of the show, isn't he? He is Hollywood. I mean, there's some great names coming up in this documentary, which we'll go for in a minute. But there's something oh, about. <laughs> Sorry, we'll get to, we'll get to the Fraser Digby stuff. Hang on. <laughs> but Glenn Hoddle comes into this, and you're like. I don't know, it's kind of like seeing like a Hollywood actor in a really early, low-budget film. Yeah. Glenn Hoddle just has an aura about him. The, the way he looks, I think we're going to touch on him, but he looks incredible. But also the way he sounds. He sounds different to everyone else. He sounds posh. Yeah. Like, do, you, do you know how, in the old days, the, those footballers looked older than they were? Yeah. I'd say there's a few of those knocking about in this film. I, I, I agree. And I wonder if it was... Like you aged dependent on the level of your play because Glenn Hoddle is <laughs> effortless. He's effortlessly, he looks like he moisturizes, like he's, he looks. But every, everything about his demeanor is so kind of classy and continental. And classy. But a bit like he was as a player as well. You can sort of see the comparison between the two. I've always been a bit indifferent towards Glenn Hoddle, but this documentary actually Which made is me quite think. difficult, considering. Yeah. <laughs> but I came out of this thinking, I'd love to have played them. He's classy, like you could, you want to listen to what he's got to say the first one of the first scenes you see well yeah not all the time (laughs) (laughs) but there's this uh, there's this scene on the training ground where he's saying to the goalkeeper Nicky you happy with that wall you happy and just the way he says it is so classy I thought in that time you're never going to get a first division manager like a second tier go are you happy with that wall that's so well spoken and respectful well if you look at all the other documentaries of this type that we've watched that had John Sitton Pulis Warnock He's cut like, from a different look at that There's, there's a, bo- a bit where he talks about how teams are going to be scared of you playing. Yeah. Like, if you get the ball down and you play, teams will be scared of you. But I think it does help very much in the sort of good cop, bad cop, that his assistant and right-hand man is one of the most physically imposing people I've yeah. ever seen in yeah. my life. He, he looks terrifying. He looks like sort of... Burt Reynolds as if he I just thought Burt Reynolds come Burt Reynolds out or Tom Senek he's yeah. got a moustache he's got a moustache <laughs> I because I remember John Gorman basically as being a kind of silent he was basically the tawed grip to Glenn yeah. Hoddle wasn't he because he was when Glenn Hoddle was England manager John Gorman was his assistant yeah, yeah. but that yeah, he's the enforcer. Yeah. I'd go so far as to say John Gorman, for me, is probably the standout assistant manager of the 90s. <laughs> Brian Kidd aside. No, but yeah. for me, John Gorman is the classic assistant manager. Yeah. And I'd love to know if anyone's got a favourite oh, assistant yeah. manager. Hello at quinneykevin.com. This is the podcast for but that question. <laughs> but who is of not the 90s, Brian Kidd? Let's just, Brian Kidd has read. Yeah. Is there another assistant manager you're a big fan of? blue now. Fantastic. It's really nice. I'm that kind of humour. <laughs> Um, I think it's easy to forget, actually, that Hoddle is... I don't. I think it's quite Hoddle-lite, the, doc, the documentary. Yeah, really. And because there's not much on-field footage, and even big games are passed over with astonishing disrespect for the casual viewer, um, you get more shots of Gorman in the dugout yeah. than you do of Hoddle on the pitch. And because the player so manager... Hoddle is, is a player manager. Yeah, yeah. Hoddle is the player manager and Gorman is the assistant, but you, you, I found myself frequently forgetting that and thinking that John, John Gorman was the manager. But he's very much like um, James Dooley Dench in Shakespeare in Love. Like, mm-hmm. he's only on screen for sort of eight minutes, but he steals the show. And were there <laughs> yeah. Academy Awards for... 90s Channel 4 football I think. <laughs> think Brian I... Kidd Judy Dench the flattering comparisons just keep on coming <laughs> for John Gorman <laughs> um, so 
Then well, well, then we get a scene where the stickers of all the the main players come on the screen, and I just thought I'd rattle through some of the ones that I'd heard of: Fraser Digby, Colin Calderwood, Nicky Summerby, John Monker, Paul Bowden, Mickey Hazard, and of course Glenn Hoddle, Scott Sellers as well. Scott it? Sellers, you recognised? Th- this yeah. is a good team, isn't it? That, yeah. That's what I, that kind of surprised me. It's like, oh, he's quite lucky. I thought maybe that he's choosing to do this documentary because Glenn Hoddle's there. But actually, he's really lucked out because this is a really good team of Premier League players. Yeah, I think, and I, I don't know how long Hoddle had been there or why Hoddle was the, why was Hoddle the manager of Swindon? Because so, when I was a kid, because they got into the Premier League around this time, I just presumed Swindon were quite a big club. And I don't mean that in a kind oh, of dear. in a soccer am bounce way either. No, thank you for. But, <laughs> But do you know what? But they're not. Like, they're not a traditional... <laughs> silent no, but the, tear rolls down Ivo's cheek. But the teams who are in your first, you know, in your first Premier League team or your first sticker album will always slightly yeah. occupy that for Luton you. Luton Town. Mm, Why do you think he was there? So my theory is that it was a man. It's it his first managerial opportunity, yeah. and I thought that they Swindon won him because he's still a good player at that point, but also he's clever as we've established. So there was yeah. an opportunity for him to to kind of establish himself as a manager, but also Swindon out of it got a decent player too. Yeah, and Swindon have flirted with player managers since Neil Ruddock. Uh, for Did example. you have Neil Ruddock as a player? As a manager, yeah, he was he was sort of uh, joint manager uh, with Roy Evans and uh, and had a few ill fated. Roy, <laughs> Roy Evans will never get a job on his own anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that Roy Evans returned to joint manager. <laughs> Do you think when Roy Evans was suggested, they're like, I know who we pairing him with? Yeah. <laughs> um, Neil Ruddock was in the, obviously the latter stages of his career and um, in Serial one iconic monogamist match, Roy Evans. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they love commitment, but they never last long. Um, but no, Hoddle was. I mean, I, I feel if if you have this slightly misplaced childhood memory of Swindon being a big team, I have that thing of of people um, constantly saying, "Oh, you must remember Swindon in the Premier League," and memories of it being incredibly sketchy. I say memories sketchy, the non-existent non-existent. memories. <laughs> I I would prefer, and I'm not just saying this. To be a Plymouth fan and us to have never reached the Premier League, rather than to know that I was just if they if Plymouth had been in the Premier League in the mid eighties, I would find it almost more galling. Yes, right. yes, a, a, yeah. a pointless answer as well of uh, teams that have been in the Premier League, which is the role that Swindon play. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so they then talk about the kind of four teams: the reserve, the main first team. The reserves, the youth team. I, there's so many players. Yeah, so many players. And we're introduced yeah. to so many. There's no narrative really introduced. They've got clear access to the reserves more than they've got access to the first team. Is that yes. fair? Yes. yes. So it starts by saying that you've got these four teams and it says uh, first reserves, youth, schoolboy. And it says uh, the lower three servicing the needs of the first team. Um, now, um, moving swiftly past the word servicing, you go straight into, I would say, quite tragic interview with a member of the reserves who yeah. talks about how great it is uh, to, to sort of he says nothing beats going away with the first team <laughs> oh, but yeah. the yeah. cracks begin well, to show almost immediately yeah. Be- before we get our violins out for that we've gone past a bit you see the players running out to the pitch and John Gorman's at the mouth of the tunnel like whacking them on their arse as they come out yeah. and John Gorman shouts breathe out your asses for each other oh, I did miss oh, that breathe out your asses for each other yeah. I've never heard that phrase. Honestly, I don't know what it means. It means like you're so out of puff that you have to breathe it's out of this your thing, It's going down for kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> you 
God, I'd be hearing that in the first minute. <laughs> Do you think? Um, I think the guy that was obsessed with masculinity was uh, was making me yes. was absolutely thought this clip is absolutely gold for I my do. thesis. Does, masculinity doesn't get more toxic than uh, Sean Gorman essentially telling Swindon's players to fart their way to the top. <laughs> So, so yeah, reserve football. We see a game of reserve football and the, the documentary focuses on some of the reserve team. But the, the county ground is quite full for a reserve game. And I, I thought, I've never been to a reserve game. I don't I've really know been. how reserve I'm games hard. work. I, I don't even know if Plymouth have got a reserve team. <laughs> like, I don't think... But who services the needs of the first team? <laughs> <laughs> so then we see a match. Rose, my wife, was watching this with me and she just, she went... Do people actually sing Ole Ole Ole? South American Swindon. No, only two actually. The lack of match footage is I don't understand what the situation is with uh, his match footage rights. Yeah. Right? Because they don't seem to until the final match of the season where they've got the footage of the playoff final, they don't have the cameras. Well, and they have the footage of the playoff semi-final second leg. The first oh, yeah. leg is passed over <laughs> yeah. extraordinarily quickly. Yeah. yeah, but the cameras, but the, all of the league games are filmed on a video cam on, on his camera from yeah. the touchline. Like he's just stood there. Well, I suspect there weren't TV cameras there, so they couldn't even. Yeah, access. There would have been TV cameras there at, were, at every old second division game. A hundred percent, because there'd have been, there was a, definitely. I don't know. I know some people who watch um, cricket, they'll, they'll go to great lengths to sync up watching the cricket on Sky or whatever, but listening to TMS yeah. at the same time. And I imagine there would have been plenty of aficionados um, watching That's Football, the Swindon documentary, but intercutting their own more professionally filmed shots <laughs> of the games that are being described. But you get, so you get this situation where he goes, uh, the 5-1 win over Notts County helped and you just see the camera following the guy number just 11 just running, around. <laughs> just running around for a bit that, yeah, that's showed Notts County <laughs> yeah um, you then see a really good thing when Glenn Heldwell has an argument on the training pitch for the player mm. yeah I love this and they're arguing about what happened in the training game itself because they're like the guy's basically saying well you, you, you could have cleared it and you didn't you're telling me to clear it and I thought is this the curse of the player manager because he's yeah. kind of critiquing him well, as like, a player yeah. and like but also kind of critiquing him as a manager too because like he yeah. did something as a player and he, he's telling them to do something as a manager and he's getting criticised for being a, basically a hypocrite I've got to say if you're not approaching that particular clip with the reverence for Glenn Hoddle which I think we all have and also may I say, the, the, the contempt for the rest of the Swindon team um, it does sound like Hoddle is, is, is slightly getting away with it because he's basically <laughs> telling off Mickey Hazard for not clearing the ball quickly enough but the person who had the ball before him was Glenn Hoddle and, and Glenn basically said no no I couldn't do it but, but I passed you and it was your job to do it immediately and Mickey Hazard who afterwards you get a, 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 an interview where he laments the free spirit that has held him back in his career yeah. sympathise a bit with him yeah. he, Mickey Hazard basically says Mickey Hazard's interviewed wearing a polo shirt that has six buttons which I've never seen before yeah. I'm going to say before since I only watched this afternoon I'm, I'm so it's been a busy early evening yeah. on the uh, many button polo shirt front yeah, down Carnaby Street um, he talks about how he's a free spirit he could be doing better 
but he just he basically implies that he chases the ball around like a six year old yeah yeah but the things he has an issue to do with is like like, I don't like being told what time to turn up for training yeah and you're like that's your fucking job that's like someone going I'm sorry what 9.30 you're getting at 9.30 I'm a free free (laughs) (laughs) I don't like being told when to eat yeah so what are you doing like Mrs. Hazard at 4am trying to coax him back up from the kitchen (laughs) (laughs) with a ball that he'll follow <laughs> but they they did play together at Spurs, Hoddle yeah. and Hazard. So I wondered whether there was a sort of friendly kind of like mutual players rivalry. And suddenly oh, it's like, all oh, right, you're my boss now, aren't right. you? Right. Yeah, there's, there's a few players of interesting histories with uh, Glenn Hoddle. One of them is Dave Bennett, is a player we meet who's broken his leg and he's trying Four to recover times. from it. He won the FA Cup in 1987 for Coventry against Spurs, and he oh. was man of the match in that game. And th- and in this documentary, he's recovering from a broken leg. And after this documentary, he goes on loan to Shrewsbury to recover after a year out. First game breaks the same leg, no. retires. <laughs> yeah, Dave Bennett. The the part ends with some banter in the common room that I found completely indecipherable. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to keep up with it. So hard. And then we begin the part two, part two of four, but we're halfway through the season. And you get um, what I would say is the best sequence, which is two intercut interviews, one with some fans. I rate fans. Yeah. Yeah. I rate fans. And one, and one interview with the chairman. Ray Hardman. Ray Hardman. It's great. It's like sort of Arsenal fan TV intercut <laughs> yes. with, you know, Stan Kroenke having to, <laughs> to, to defend himself. And hard man by name, hard man by I, nature. I, I really came down on the side of the chairman. Yeah, he said they're running a £1 million deficit every year. They have to sell players. He makes quite a kind of good case. He, he says he says the running cost, he says that's before the cost of telephone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is back in the day of 0891 numbers. Yeah. I don't know how, how often he's calling club call to see, <laughs> where, <laughs> to see what, the rumours To are. see who they're signing. Yeah, the only thing that made me slightly not empathise with him was I was getting strong Jerry Adam vibes from that sort of uh, the yeah. look that he had. He So you start with the fans and you do go, God, am I one of these fans that's really unreasonable in that he... They're basically saying... Because he's sold a player for 500 grand. Yeah. And the fans are going, he hasn't okayed it with us, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, because it's a fucking business that he's he, trying to keep going. He also says he's always selling players behind our backs. Yeah, behind yeah. Our backs. This is 92. You've only got teletext, club call, <laughs> and a programme. If he can pay for that, man. <laughs> yeah. So that's on you. Yeah. It's so weird selling players behind our backs. And then they're like, well, he should just pay the money into the club himself. Um, but they're basically saying you should. This is why I just think owning a lower league football club is a really thankless task. Mm. Yeah, it's a tough one. There's a bit where as well where they he poses a hypothetical. The documentary maker poses a hypothetical question to one of the fans. He's like, "Well, what would you do if you're on the board?" And the guy quite says, "If I had loads of money, I'd invest." And you're yeah. like, "Well, what is what we learned there?" I don't know. <laughs> of course you would. But yeah. it's all about the controversial sale of David Kerr's Lake. Who yeah. again? It's just we've we've had no build up to emotionally invest in that. No. All we get. Is an argument about the sale and then a quick interview with David Kerr's like wearing a superb turtleneck and <laughs> just every player interviewed has got a fantastic outfit yeah yeah but, there's a lovely stripy shirt at one point but you don't even sort of follow up uh, yes that's David Mitchell no not that one and actually not that one either <laughs> um, the third David Mitchell so um, 
But the, the loss of David Kersley isn't then, you know, it's not turned into a narrative of how will he be replaced or what sort of gap will that leave. It's just, it just feels like the bit of footage they had. And I don't think any of the insights into uh, sort of the finances of a football club are novel. I think it's entertaining watching them expressed in that quite dramatic way intercut between the sort of um, firm chairman and the angry fans. But I would say I learned nothing from this documentary about the, the running of a football club, the motivation of players on the training pitch. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting because at the start of the documentary, they say um, they sort of allude to the fact that the club pre Hoddle had been in trouble because of financial irregularities. And it's mentioned yeah. a couple of times, but there's no talk of it. So I did a bit of research into it. And basically, the former owners and chairman uh, ended up going to prison for. Uh, defrauding HMRC for tax payments mm-hmm. where they basically were siphoning this is they went to prison for this and so we're allowed to say it they basically were siphoning money off from ticket and program sales and using it to pay like player bonuses and stuff so people oh, weren't wow. having to pay like national insurance and at oh, least wow, one of them wow. went to prison for it Wow! so I think there's a sense of these new owners coming in perhaps either there's like residual oh our club is being run yeah. badly by crooks but actually they've come in and they've hired Glenn Hoddle and you're yeah. on a promotion push like what yeah. you're in, swindon no offense what have you got to be annoyed yeah, about exactly. at that this point is in the, the best season? period of your history it certainly undermines the claim that we're a friendly little club from Wiltshire <laughs> to see ingratitude on that level at the start of the season uh, Ivor you may not have learned anything about football administration but I think I learned something about Swindon Town which is this song you have which is sung in the dressing room with John Gorman's leading it after a win. The grand oh, old it's team. A grand old team. Yes, of what course. What is this song? Because um, I've never heard any song like it on a terrace. Um, I tried to hunt it down, and I think it's um, I think it's an Everton song originally oh, that has been reappropriated. Very few lower league football chants <laughs> originated with the club at which they're being sung. I'm well aware that we're not the only red and white army um, <laughs> in uh, the, the football sphere. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. It's though. a good song. Yeah. Do you think so? Then we see them beat play Newcastle, so it's a kind of top of the table clash. Um, and they beat Newcastle in a league game. So this is the, the when you're talking about the song, Chris. I found it astonishing that after winning a league game, they opened a bottle of champagne in the dressing room. I found that. I've never heard of that before. Against Keegan's Newcastle, I think yeah. that's justified. But you know, you know when they're like, we'll take one game as a, you know, it's a long old promotion push. We'll take one game at a time. Yeah. Imagine if this is March. If it came out that that Liverpool v Man City run in. Yeah. When he said this does not slip, and then it all gone backstage. And, uh, <laughs> a bottle of champagne. champagne. Yeah. <laughs> one of the details backstage. I liked. <laughs> one of the details I liked from that game as well is um, they obviously score. Swindon score during that match, and the cameraman, the director, who's also the cameraman, is like runs on the pitch. He's on the pitch, <laughs> like runs. following the players. Yeah. They run to the corner flag. Yeah, and he does that. He does that. You know the cut of the corner that you'll occasionally see a substitute do. Yeah, when the ball's up the other end, when they're coming back from warming up. Yeah, he runs on the pitch. I'd I'd once want to see because obviously you, he's got a very dry voice, but he's in this masculine environment and he's carrying a camera that yeah. doesn't seem to be a very good camera judging by the shot um, I just want him to walk past a mirror so that I can see who this person <laughs> is that, that the team are happy to have yeah. walking around well we've got speaking of appearances got to talk about the appearance of your number nine Dave Mitchell yes. does he not look like a kind of buffed up Jeremy Beadle 
Am I the only one who yeah. spotted this? He looks he's, exactly like Jeremy Beadle, but massive. Yeah, he does. He's got that Jeremy Beadle. And there's a scene in it where, um, I think it's just after that Newcastle game, where he headbutts a player and our mate Dermot Gallagher's the ref. Oh, yeah. Doesn't even get booked. Yeah, he he just, literally headbutts a player. There's a lot of good refs in this. You see yeah, Paul, Paul in the Durkin. Morning, and you see David Ellery. <laughs> if you are a ref connoisseur, we'd really recommend you check this one out. It's got some good refs in it. I think if you play a championship season and you get Ellery, <laughs> Gallagher, Gallagher and, and that's the Mount Rushmore of 90s Premier League refs that's almost. like the 2004 enemy tour of referees <laughs> um, on the uh, spotting of quickly Kevin legends uh, did anyone else spot when they showed teletext on transfer deadline day that this was the day that AD Mike left Manchester City no. for Barry. What? Oh, wow. So they cut to the teletext on the transfer deadline day. They show, and it's got like all the moves of the day. And it says, A Mike, Manchester City to Burnley. Oh, oh Barry. Yeah. It's so good <laughs> when it says transfer deadline day, and you get the very quick hit of you get CFAX, you get John Gorman with an enormous phone, and you get Glenn Hoddle in the most fantastic Christmas jumper. It's so nice. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wrote Hoddle's jumper underlined. Hoddle's jumper, and then a different jumper later on, right in the midst of the of the Chelsea tension. Hoddle wheels out another fantastically festive jumper. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a Sunday and he's come directly from church in those lovely jumpers. That sheep was reincarnated as a jumper. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we now come to an amazing scene, which starts with a Swindon coach berating a player from the side. And then in an excellent hard cut, it cuts to show that the player is about 12. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we see the youth team coach is then interviewed about, and he's bemoaning that the the play, young players of 1992-93 that cannot take the harsh criticism of previous years' intakes. They're a yeah. different breed. They're a different John breed. John Trollope says. John. Which is a real shame coming off the back of him really being quite a bully to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His name's John Trollope. John Trollope, I yes. missed that. Yeah, but he's, he's, he's ex-Swindon. He's a he's proper part of the Swindon establishment. <laughs> he has the air of an old schoolmaster who sort of is still lamenting the day that corporal punishment was outlawed in schools. <laughs> yeah, and then... Did I get this scene right? Because the next scene, which is the final scene before the break, is John Gorman. I suppose this is the bit where we're dealing with masculinity. Mm. I I would never... If he hadn't said at the start, this is a documentary about masculinity, I don't think any of us tonight would have gone, did you pick up on the the, the underlying theme of masculinity? John Gorman talks about hitting a man he substituted. Yeah. Twice. Twice. And sort of condoning the behaviour. Yeah. And then goes on to talk about, well, you know, it's like with your kid, isn't it? They mouth off and you give them a smack. And you're like, what? what? <laughs> it's, Not it's, like 20 years ago, of course, when you could really hit them. <laughs> <laughs> a different breed now. But he definitely, John Gorman in that scene gives off really, really heavy kind of uh, the teacher from Cares vibes where you're like, yeah. He's going in hard on you. Yeah, he's 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 scary. He's scary. Like such Scottish managers are generally scary, aren't yeah. they? They've yeah. got an aura. 
Yeah. But then there's something that also that happens later in the film with um, between him and Glenn Hoddle where when they get promoted, they share a little kiss on the, on the <laughs> yeah, side yeah. of that. There's a few. There's a sort of tender there's there's a few tender shots. Of the two. There's one early on as well where they're both crouched down sort of holding each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really lovely stuff. Martin Ling joins the party. Is there a hug going on? <laughs> Don't mind if I do. We, we come now to Martin Ling's hugging, hugging this interview. This part three. Can I just say that part three starts with them doing the slowest jog around the training ground I've ever seen in my life. I don't know what it is, but they're doing the jogging equivalent. Have you ever done that game where you've got to ride a bicycle as slowly as possible yeah. without it falling over? It feels, it feels like they're playing something where you've got to keep jogging, but you can't be the one in the front or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Then we come to Martin Ling. The bit where he says, we're not all lovers, I don't think. Are we? <laughs> <laughs> Ling, Ling gets a lot of airtime here. Well, I'd say. Ling, I think, I think he manager, gives the most. Right? He did, yeah, not for not for very long, sadly. Um, he left for personal reasons. Um, <laughs> Too much. But, okay. no, <laughs> I think it was a bit sadder than that, but, uh, but let, let's go with not enough hugging. The, the game had changed. Um, but yeah, it became a great lower league manager. Um, so part three begins with a scene that is astonishingly brilliant. But Ivo, you tell us that it's got a very sad kind of postscript. Yeah, well, you start off with... And I'm afraid, maybe I'm being very disloyal to the documentary and my own club here, but you start off thinking, here's another incredibly dull, pointless scene. (laughs) You're watching Steve White, the striker, on the treatment table, and Steve White is in quite a dry monologue about how players will occasionally exaggerate their injuries. Which I found astonishing, because you're essentially slagging off your teammates on TV. They're going to watch it. Yeah. Admittedly, 18 months down the line, but... (laughs) But suggesting there's a sort of that, that, that there's a glamour to it. I think the word glorifying is used to describe players playing through injuries. And then uh, you you pan out to see uh, the physio Kevin Morris, who we've already seen and will continue to see on several occasions, smoking a pipe in the Swindon Town dugout, yeah. which I think is the the iconic yeah. uh, image, apart from maybe a Glen Hoddle Christmas but, jumper. But always he's they cut to the dugout and he's smoking a pipe, and there's always for me probably one too many people in the dugout so it's very tight yes like he's pushed (laughs) up against john gorman smoking a pipe (laughs) but yeah kevin morris suddenly talks quite intensely about about players sort of milking their injuries to which again our intrepid you know director producer interviewer he does another bit bit like when he he takes the game to the fans outside the grounds he says to, to, to kevin morris a physio well so do you like it when they're in here or not to give the documentary maker his credit not enough to remember his name, obviously, but to give <laughs> to give him his credit, I think throughout it he's not afraid of asking the difficult questions. Mm. Yeah, almost like naively, I thought he doesn't know what questions to ask. I, th- I thought because when he's in having this chat with the physio, he's like, he's almost like, how do injuries work? Like, yeah, so but, it's just like naivety kind of lets him get away with that. Somehow. And then t- for the next twenty five years, Louis Theroux the- uses that skill to. <laughs> Another man who was influenced by this documentary. Yeah, exactly. He's not afraid of asking difficult questions unless the difficult questions are, could I interview Glenn Hoddle, please? <laughs> <laughs> or do you think I can get some footage of that important game? <laughs> Seeing as there's no TV cameras, could I stand on the gantry? <laughs> 
Um, so then, Kevin Morris talks about how um, the, basically the injuries pe- people carry are, are sort of nothing. He, as a, as, a, as a football physio, he shows uh, I think quite a lot of contempt for most of the injuries picked up by footballers. Um, and he'll say he says at one point he says no injury you get as a footballer is serious and, he's, and, and references someone having a heart attack in a game and says that's that's a condition that's not an injury. <laughs> Very specific stuff. Yeah. Um, this, this, yeah. The sad code of the Kevin Morris story is that uh, he took his own life the following year, um, and it coincided, unfortunately, with uh, a sort of massive loss of Swindon's form as they were. It was two years later; they'd already been relegated from the Premier League. A lot of spoilers here, and they would then get relegated again for the second t- season in a row. And um, and my contacts on the London Swin uh, have confirmed that they they switched dugouts. Uh, as an act of, you know, sort of traumatic sort of superstition um, after that. After it affected the club so much. Mm. Knowing that, it's a very kind of powerful scene because it it stands out as it is, because he talks about how his wife's got a terminal terminal cancer. Terminal illness. Terminal illness, Mm. you know, and how he doesn't want to be doing this job. He basically says he's doing it for the money Mm. and he'd prefer to be at home with his wife. And it's a very kind of sad scene, but... Obviously, it's it's far sadder when you know that, and you can tell what a character he is as well. I think like yeah. every, everybody's looking at like the, the the prominence he has on the bench and the kind of the respect yeah. that Swindon showed to him in the years to come. I mean, I think there was only a, a celebration of his life just a couple of years ago and a fundraiser for his family in the Samaritans. So, so he's still a massive part of the Swindon Town fabric. There's then a scene where we meet Paul Hunt, and they they have this little um, discussion of contracts. They say the summer's coming, players' contracts are expiring, yeah. and these are real people with jobs. They've got families, they've got mortgages, they need kind of some sort of job security. And Paul Hunt is sat there saying, I just really hope I get a club after Swindon this summer because I'm going to be let go. So I did some research on Paul Hunt. I had my fingers crossed. Did he get a club after Swindon? Oh, no. I went on his Wikipedia. So he left in 1993 to join Gloucester City. Oh, no. 1994, he joined in that year. Cardiff City, Bristol Rovers, SK Brand, Andover, Sirinster Town. Then in 1996... Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes. Sorry, Town. And then in 1996-2001, Forest Green Rovers, Aberystwyth... How do you say Aberystwyth. that? Aberystwyth. <laughs> Town. 2001, Bath City. 2001-2002, Merthyr Tidville. Taunton Whoa. Town. Clevedon Town. 2002-2003, Swindon. Supermarine FC. Uh, fair 2003, enough. Hungerford Town, Highworth Town, Western Supermare, 2004-2005. These are all like... What's five interesting about them is they're almost all from the same region. Yeah. yeah. Like he's doing the all these clubs of Wales. the South West and South Wales. <laughs> so he's probably never moved house. <laughs> 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 and then in 2004, 2005, there's about eight clubs. Some of them were some of the same ones repeated again. So nice. he wanted another club. Boy, did yeah, he got get, it. be careful what you wish for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for signing on fees, he must be. <laughs> the commute to Merthyr Tidville was a bit of a bore, but he was back <laughs> at Sirens just three weeks later. <laughs> um, is he the one that uh, is talking about clubs and he corrects himself with the most needless correction of all time when he says... Um, you just hope someone out there fancies you. Football-wise, I mean. <laughs> I'd say it's the second best clarification after early on when, when Eddie Murray, the, the reserve, who's talking about uh, about going to away matches with the first team at the beginning. He incredibly sort of, uh, sort of dispiritingly 
downgrade Swindon's capacity quite rapidly when he'll say, you know, but it's nothing like, the, you know, playing in front of a crowd of 30,000 fans. Swindon is 10,000. <laughs> and then there's a cut to a, a match with almost no one at it. <laughs> I don't think Eddie Murray ever got the 30,000 strong crowd that he dreamed of. And then the part, th- part four is where it just changes into a completely different documentary. This is the best bit. It suddenly gets well professional and, dare yeah. I say, even enjoyable at this point. It, it, they Basically, they get to the playoff semifinals. He says, um, in, 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 his, in his trademark breathy tones, I'd started out wanting to question football and the prominence we give it, but from now on, the glamour and the sheer spectacle of the game took over and swept the film along with it. <laughs> Part four. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, that's, that is... Anchored to a footage of a man kicking a ball against a wall, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which I'm presuming is ironic. Like I'm presuming, he, but I don't, I don't know. Also, th- that then kicks into the into. We've uh, Swindon have got to the playoff semi-finals now, a two-legger against Tranmere. So you have that that quote teeing it up. You cut to part four, and immediately you're told that Swindon won the first leg three-one. Yeah. There's no footage of it. <laughs> <laughs> My, my favorite, it's very similar to that because he only draws attention about four games all year. Mm. One point he talks about the West Ham game and he goes, Swindon already in the playoffs, so the West Ham game it isn't that important, but it would be worth winning to be higher in the playoffs. They lost 3 1. Just racing through it. So then we get to the Tranmere second leg. They've won the first leg 3-1. In the second leg, real drama The crowd is so loud. Like Suddenly, it's It's really exciting. The away end looks like those really unrealistic crowd shots on FIFA where every single person is just bouncing up and down constantly. (laughs) Brilliant. Have you ever been to a playoff semi-final? I have. I've been to the greatest playoff semi-final, I'd say, of all time. Plymouth 3, Colchester 1. Swindon 5, Sheffield United 5. Swindon wins 7-6 on aggregate. Oh, wow. years ago oh wow yeah all right i'll give you that um but there's something hugely exciting about a playoff semi-final because the obviously it's sold out so it's more exciting than the final in a way because the finals of playoffs that aren't the championship invariably one of the teams will be too small to sell their side but it's packed and also that playoff semi-final second leg will always be played on a very sunny eve like it'll be a bright evening everyone's in the shirts there's a there's a very different atmosphere oh it's it's like you've got 30,000 people 20,000 15,000 people (laughs) all there yeah there's just something very exciting about there's they they feel and that felt like they feel very different to almost any other type of game it's such an amazing atmosphere I um so much riding on it as well. To lose yeah. a playoff game is oh. the, the worst. Well, that's I I did find this quite hard because I've uh, I've watched Swindon lose at Wembley three times, which is obviously not you know I'm sure lots of long-term football fans have, but I've never seen them win. So it's two playoff final defeats and a, and a, and a JPT to complete the set. <laughs> so Kesara Sarah, we're a going to Wembley. Yeah, we had a jacket potato <laughs> on the way home. That was quite good actually. But. Um, <laughs> I I do not associate K Sarah Sarah we're going to Wembley oh, oh. with any kind of positivity anymore. So to hear him cheering us, even though you'd know it's a happy ending because we've been shown it right at the beginning of the documentary. I've, it's when, hard. when Swindon beats Tranmere, they, the fans invade the pitch and there's a teenage boy in the Swindon end who's wearing 
I'm sure Michael remember the blue Manchester United away shirt. Yes, the, the bl- dark blue with the black. Yeah, yeah, and it reminded me. I'd forgotten this, and I don't think I don't think you'd see this now. But when I when you'd go to lower league games, you'd in the nineties you would see people often really? children or teenagers in Premier League shirts. Oh, no. I don't know whether it was like just wanted to show they were a football fan in general whether they'd been dragged along. Like it's just <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> How would you feel at the time? Would you be offended? I wouldn't be offended. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can you tell your son to, to take his shirt off please? <laughs> <laughs> um, Adrian Vivish is then interviewed. AD Viv- uh, Viviash. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, well, uh, you know, I've got to bring a little bit of Swindon expertise to this occasionally. Yeah. And again, the, it mentions at the start of the playoff final that the Glen Hoddle rumours are starting to swirl around. But then that's not really followed up at all. Again, no. while that's happening, you, you just get some lovely shots of them all putting on their suits. Their, their FA Cup final suits. Parading around Wembley in their suits. Um, Adrian Viviash is, or, uh, is interviewed. He's a reserve. And he's interviewed about how it will feel if they win. And he doesn't want them to win, in my opinion. <laughs> He starts yeah. off, he, so he, he toes the party line up to a point at the beginning and it says how great it'll be that we win. And then he says, if we do win, there will be a point where we, and he's talking about the the bloody much maligned reserves again here. <laughs> he says, there'll be a point where we reflect that we weren't anything to do with it. And it's like, come on. <laughs> I, what I got a sense of there wasn't than having nothing to do with it. I think it was him knowing that he was not good enough to be a Premier League squad player. So yeah. had they gone up, he would be one of the players that was released. Heading to Merthyr Tidfil. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't talk about the training session fully with Hoddle and Monker. When Hoddle and, um, I'm pretty sure it's Monker, he's doing shooting practice with him. Uh, yeah. Is that Monker? And he give, gets him to, to curl it into the top corner. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, he, he obviously, um, if it's not Monker, it's another player. And he sort of runs up, takes a shot, and it's not great. And Glenn's like, no, no, we should just do it like this. And just sort of strolls through and smashes it in the bottom corner. Yeah. And it cuts to him, and he's just like, well, I'm not fucking Glenn Hoddle, am I? I'm like, <laughs> a Division Two midfielder. I can't do that. <laughs> but that comes back to my point that we constantly come back to, which is I can't believe that they're still training skills. Yeah. yeah. Who, what 27-year-old footballer needs, surely your shooting is as good as it's going to get. You've been playing for for 23 years. I, I, well, I remember an interview with Paul Ince who was talking about one of Glenn Hoddle's first training sessions for England. And it, he pulled Paul Ince aside and said, when you're playing like a long 40-yard ball like that, get your toes underneath it and put plenty of backspin on the ball so it stops dead when it lands in front of the player's foot. And then Glenn Hoddle did it. And Paul Ince was like, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> like you're Glenn Hoddle if I'd been around in the 80s I think I'd have been as gutted that Glenn Hoddle they didn't build the England team around Glenn Hoddle yeah he feels like my kind of player I'm sure I've seen him score a goal where he was playing for Spurs and he runs through and he's one on one with the keeper and the ball's running in front of him so he's not needing to touch it it's momentum he's just and he dummies and the keeper falls over and he just the ball just carries on past the keeper. <laughs> Lovely. He's a wonderful player. Yeah. He's, I've had it confirmed by the London Swin that uh, it's actually pronounced Vivash. So I've had a shocker there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then Come, we get to the final. The final. And this is one of the, again, one of the all-time great playoff final games. I, I didn't know how, did you know how this played out, Ivo? 
Uh, it I, must I, be a historic game yeah, in the history no, of the club. I, I, I knew the score, but I, again, couldn't remember much about it and so, what so order it happened. Can we start before the match very quickly on um, the stadium announcer of the Swindon team? So the, the 11 Swindon players... Does he players get Vivi Ashram? No, he doesn't. He's nowhere near the team. Come on. And, <laughs> and if they win, it'll be nothing to do with him. But um, they mention that Nicky Summerby's dad is in the crowd when they're reading out the names of the players who... Are, would that ever happen now? And they're saying, and playing for Manchester City today, it's Edison... It's Carl Walker, it's John Stones, whose mum is actually watching. <laughs> <laughs> but just to be clear, his dad is a footballer. Yeah, no, I, and that's acknowledged. Yeah. So it's not, I, I, yeah. the, the John Stones, his mum example was, uh, was poor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know I'm repeating a story, but I feel like we can't go past Mike Summerby without me saying, when I served him in Waterstones, he told me he doesn't read paperbacks. Fantastic. <laughs> doesn't, wait, doesn't wait around. <laughs> so I, he said, have you got this book? Yes. If you go to hardback, it's only available in paperback. I only read, I only read hardbacks. Well, there's a cut in uh, at the playoff final to him in the crowd reading a hardback version of the program. <laughs> <laughs> um, they then, so he kind of come in on the second half. Swindon had one nil up after. Yeah, a, a David Pleat does all he can to not say the phrase it's a game of two halves and and in in the commentary says no two halves are ever the same <laughs> <laughs> um so they've got the full footage of this. Well, they haven't got the full that. footage. You missed the first Swindon goal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which isn't it scored by Glenn Hoddle? Yes. <laughs> yeah. have and it's a great goal. I went and watched the highlights after. It's a great, probably the best goal of the game. And a, a rare, and a rare Hoddle, Hoddle goal as well. Hoddle doesn't score many for Swindon. Yeah. So, so you'd have to say that would be one of the first things you would be looking to secure for your documentary about Swindon Town's playoff campaign starring <laughs> player manager Glenn Hoddle. So Swindon go... 2-0 up and then 3-0 up. up commentator says well that's it Swindon are in the Premier League then Leicester get an equaliser and then 68 minutes 69 minutes two goals in a minute three all cuts to John all. Gorman on the bench just he's looking grey at this it point it doesn't actually cut to John Gorman it also cuts to a club secretary John Pollard who we've already met in the semi-finals because he's this charming slightly nervous man who can't watch big matches live yeah, yeah. He, so he watches the whole of the of the semi-final much like the cameraman the dra- <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why he gets so much airtime. he's actually realised that the best way to get a starry role in a documentary is to be nowhere near the, the forbidden turf my, my my favourite thing about that cutaway to him is that he's clearly watching the playoff final and there's a sense of fear in his face where you go, if they lose this, he's broken go- my rules. He's gonna blame yeah. himself for the rest yeah. of his life because he's watching this game. So then it comes down to Swindon get a penalty mm. and Paul Bowden steps up, which yeah. for anyone who's a kind of nineties football completist knows Paul Bowden is primarily famous for missing the most important penalty in the history of Welsh football. Yeah. But in an, I suppose there's an air of redemption, but not really. He scores. <laughs> he's he's the penalty taker. It's not the air of redemption. It didn't, this was before that, wasn't it? No, because that's 1990. Oh yeah, no, yeah, it would have been, been before. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so this yeah, is. If anything, this is the penalty that, uh, that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> horrible <laughs> foreshadowing. You see Bowden walk away going, "I've got this penalty lock sorted." <laughs> 
I'm a man for big pressure situations. Yeah. Um, I think Ellis talks about him scoring this penalty. Oh, does it? Previously, yeah, in oh. the run up to that. It's a good penalty. He doesn't look nervous at all. Well, he was the penalty taker. Yeah. And what I want to know, because he scores, he's probably scored quite a lot of goals from the penalty spot. He scores 12 goals that season. Paul Bowden. Yeah. So they talk about this player, Taylor. Who's that, Ivor? Who's a defender? Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor, who scores in the playoff final. I think that's 13 goals for a defender this season. Yeah. How many goals are coming from... I know, a, a fantasy player's dream, Sean Taylor. <laughs> um, yeah, they're coming from all over. And even in the Premier League. Sweden scored a lot of goals. Um, so then we see the open top bus tour and Glenn Hoddle's possibly leaving. And then there's an amazing scene that ends the, the thing where the camera guys at the bottom of the stairs in the offices watching people come and go on the day that Glenn Hoddle leaves the club. And every time they come out, they kind of can't believe that he's just sat there. Yeah. But this is the scene I was going to say is reminiscent. There's a scene where you see Glenn Hoddle and John Gorman come down the stairs together and then they go into the offices and he shoots them through the glass but you can't hear what Can they're I saying. Guess? Yeah. Is it Tim and Dawn in the office? Yeah, it is yes. like Tim and Dawn yeah. in the yeah. office. It's exactly like the scene with Tim and Dawn in the office. She said no, by the way. It's interesting with the assistant. Obviously, Glenn Hoddle's left of his own devices but I remember when Neil Warnock left Plymouth and Mick Jones, his assistant, stayed and took the job and they fell out massively but i think they then reunited years later but it's a big decision to stay and well the other thing i was reading was that uh, gorman got a lot of the credit for swindon season so they thought gorman was the brains of the the brains of the outfit and then it was proven not to be the case well that's at the end you get the whole season and at the end it just says swindon relegated the next season well it's, it's i think it's a bit crueler than that because it's over a shot of Gorman being announced as the new manager. So he's sort of oh, yeah. is triumphantly holding this scarf above his head and it's during the photo call. And then from nowhere, the voiceover goes... As of uh, now, a year later, Swindon have been relegated from the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even get to enjoy the appointment. They sack him mid-appointment in the voiceover. <laughs> it is a terrible end to the documentary. Yeah, yeah. I know. They started with the big reveal that it's going to end in a promotion and they end it with actually this promotion was pointless. Yes. When, the, when they announced John Gorman, the chairman punched is the air in the press conference he goes he slaps him on the back he's as like well. it's John Gorman he's <laughs> so surreal and he turns around they're sitting really close together so he's got to awkwardly like raise his arm really high to get yeah. it around Gorman's back to give him a slap yeah Martin Ling's taught him that technique <laughs> Yeah, um, the way to end this documentary was Martin Ling runs in gives everyone a cuddle and then credits um, I didn't really enjoy it I've enjoyed talking about it Chris, you told me that you've watched it three times. We first discussed doing this episode in 2017 before you came on to do Steve Barnes and the, that doesn't the mean Steve you'd Barnes have to trilogy. Watch it three times. So I, I started watching it in 2017, and then we've since discussed doing it again. And I think today, I think it was the fifth viewing because <laughs> these notes I can see were started in 2017 Amazing. that I'm working on. <laughs> I watch this documentary every time the topic of toxic masculinity comes up in the press. Uh, well, I'm going to have to watch Fight Club and that's football tonight again. <laughs> um, Ivo Graham, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, guys.
That was Ivo Graham. If you've enjoyed Ivo Graham's appearance on this episode, there is plenty more Ivo Graham to be had over on the Quickly Kevin fan club. He is helping us go through every single chapter of the Steve Bruce trilogy, murder mystery books. He's helping us go through those in detail. If you want to hear those special episodes, there's another one coming out in a couple of weeks. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin. We'll be back next Monday with Neville Southall. If you're a member of our Patreon, you'll get it this Saturday, and it is an absolute cracker. It's extended as well, the Patreon one. Yes, Just saying. Just very saying. good. Until then, Robbie Slater, see you later. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.